Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk, a podcast about bartenders and the stories they have to tell. We'll learn about their creative process, their favorite cocktails, as well as the storied history of cocktails, spirits, and bars. I'm your host, Leanne Sims, along with Blair Beavers. You want to say hello, Blair? Hi. And producer Greg Hansberry. And tonight we're going to talk tiki with Carmen Owens, the owner of Grass Skirt Tiki Room in downtown Columbus, Ohio, and Matt Thatcher. And Matt, we've only just met, so I do not know what your relationship is with Tiki. So tell me who you are and what your relationship is with Tiki. Well, that would take the entire show. Um, <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> sure. I would suppose that I would say um, I've been involved in um, the creation, in, in great interest in the creation of tropical drinks for a long, long time now, um, a bit ahead of the the big resurgence and wave that we're seeing now. Um, uh, my organization, the Fraternal Order of Moai, our, our local chapter here in Columbus, assisted uh, Carmen in the early years uh, with uh, with the grass skirt. Fraternal Fraternal Order of Moai? Fraternal Order of Moai. Okay. Dot org. Please look it up. I will. That sounds <laughs> Or you can just call them the FOM. Or the FOM, yes. FOM, okay. It's easier. Yeah. Like a contract all from here forward up. referred to as the FOM. Yes. Okay. Right. Uh, we're a, a national... Um, uh, charitable fraternal society uh, with uh, tiki culture as our theme. And what um, does your charity benefit? Who does it benefit? Well, nationally we have um, the Easter Island Foundation, which provides uh, scholarships for uh, children from Rapa Nui who are going to be studying abroad, uh, taking college courses, uh, provides scholarships for them. Uh, and those scholarships are set up so that they need to come back to Rapa Nui after they graduate and and actually utilize their uh, their knowledge to benefit uh, the island. Oh, uh, that's our, is where the Easter Island. That is where the Easter Island are. statues yes. are, which is why we're the Fraternal Order of Moai. Okay. Um, those are the Moai, the uh, the large uh, stone uh, heads, as most people know them. They're actually a lot more to them than just the heads, but uh, so we're discovering. Uh, that's our national charity, and then the individual chapters, uh, state or locality, have their own individual. Um, charities that they support. For instance, here in Columbus, we have an event called the Hula Hop uh, in August that actually happens at the Grass Skirt, uh, and that benefits uh, Cure CMD, which is congenital muscular dystrophy. Mm, okay. All right. So, Carmen, you're new to the Columbus Craft Cocktail Tour, and uh, thank you very much for being on our tour, by the way. It's so fun. And when our guests walked in, and, and I walked in with them, it's like we were transported to a Polynesian village somewhere. It's just so amazing, all of the statues and um, the uh, chandelier made of skulls. Who's your interior decorator? Where do you get all this stuff? Um, uh Funnily enough, uh, that's why I brought Matt, um, because um, when it was announced that my partners and I were going to open a tiki bar in Columbus, there was a lot of interest um, because there's a lot of people that fondly remember the kiki, as I do. Um, I grew up here in town. But in particular, there was this sort of core group of people from the FOM who had spent all this time while there was no tiki bar in Columbus figuring out how to make statues, how to make lamps, how to create, recreate the cocktails 
um, from Kahiki and from other famous Keeping tiki it bars. Alive, sort of. So yeah, so they were just sort of DIYing and making basement tiki bars and tiki pools and all kinds of fun private spaces. But they were really excited to be able to participate in any way that they could in getting a tiki bar back in Columbus. So um, I'd say eighty percent of the tiki sculptures in there are were made. Um, by people in the farm, so stuff that's hanging on the walls. Um, in 2012, when we opened, there happened to be a bunch of really bad storms, and one of the guys, Jimmy, um, happens to carve tiki's. So he just said, "If you and your partners can get me some trees, I will make you tiki's." And that's exactly what happened. Is this a local person, mm-hmm. Jim yep. Robinson? Yeah. So he is the co-founder of the Fraternal Order of Moai with Matt. Um, all of the lamps, essentially. Other than the stuff that's obviously, you know, like a banana leaf fan from Lowe's, <laughs> everything else that you see in there um, was made by a local woman um, who Lena. was in the farm, um, who's, yeah, all these people sort of stepped up and said, this is what we can offer you. How can we help? Let's do this together. Oh, that sounds that awesome. So it was fantastic. And so you mentioned Kahiki. I understand that there is a statue in your on your patio that mm-hmm. was at, which, what is that? So that's George, as he's known. Um, George the Monkey Fountain, although there's debate about that he's not actually a monkey. Um, He's actually a Moai? No, a Maori. Yeah, maybe, well, certainly Maori-influenced, but, uh, you know, in today's climate, that's maybe uh, given some of the monkey imagery as well. Maybe not the most flattering portrayal of Maori, but certainly the tongue uh, is the, the Maori um, sort of battle face to scare mm-hmm. off enemies. So there's there's certainly a Maori influence, even though they largely made him rather simian in appearance. We are talking about 1961, though. So, uh, you know, a lot, lot less uh, sensitivity in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, in the early days, I was told that the staff referred to him as the pig because he has a bit of a pig nose, and they didn't really know any of the background of where they might have gotten the ideas for designing him in the first place. It was designed by uh, Coburn Morgan, who was uh, chief architect and sort of creative director for the Kahiki. So. And so when you walked into Kahiki, George was sort of the first thing you saw as you walked over this... Bridge Over the little bridge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right there in the um, foyer. And so we purposely named our place Grass Skirt Tiki Room so that people would get the idea that, like, there's no basement and gift shop and rainforest <laughs> room and a whole other thing. And um, there's one room, more little, um, because it would have cost millions of dollars to, if not more than millions of dollars, to recreate the scale of what happened at, at Kahiki. Um, but we were fortunate enough that the Kahiki company had stuck around as a frozen foods company um which i think people can still you can see the kiki building off of 278 like sort of by Kahana. their corporate um, their second their corporate offices yeah. so they had had george in the foyer of their place since kahiki had closed and they were doing renovations um and offered up quite a lot of of kahiki memorabilia um but George was sort of the crown jewel of what they were offering. And so we came together and I think it was one of my partners, myself and Matt with like computers coming down to the wire and being like, Oh no, our budgets bidding on the auction. (laughs) We're getting outbid. Do we have 500 more dollars? Where can we? Yeah. So, 
Um, so it was a really exciting night, but essentially the farm owns George and we tech, we rent him. Um, More or less, yeah. So the farm organization sounds like a very generous group of people. Well, they're, they're generous. They're really invested in preserving sort of the historical legacy that is Tiki, um, and especially Columbus Tiki. So it's just sort of been a lovely marriage of what we wanted to do, which was create a really fun, escapist, surrealist place want, to go. I want you to explain Tiki more to me in just a second. But first, I want to go talk about you. Sure. Um, so you, you've been involved in other restaurant ventures in Columbus, Ohio. Let's talk about that. Sure. Um, so many people know Liz Lesnar um, and Liz Lesnar Restaurants, which eventually sort of turned into Betty's Family of Restaurants and then morphed into Columbus Food League. Um, she is a partner now in Grass Skirt as, as well as Tip Top. Um, but essentially it all started with Betty's um, in 2001. Um, we were living together in Grandview, had been dear friends um, since high school. And she said, I, I'm going to start a bar. I was like, you're nuts. Okay, whatever you want to do, dear. I will support you. Um, so she ended up opening Betty's. Um, eventually, I was managing Betty's because um, I've been in restaurants my whole life. And a few years into Betty's, I was in grad school um, and sort of trying to decide, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I'm late 20s, um, do I get a degree and be a, I got an anthropology degree, um, do I go be a professor or do I go do this really fun, exciting thing, which is open a bar? Um, so I chose the latter. Um, and another good friend of ours, Marcy Mays, um, who many people that have been in Columbus for a long time know from the band Scrawl, um, had been looking for somebody to open sort of an event space kind of rock club with. Um, she now owns the Ace of Cups. Oh, okay. um, so we started with the idea of Surly Girl as this sort of bizarre bordello on a pirate ship with cowgirls and like a little funny back room where we had free shows. Um, and we had a blast with it, um, obviously. But the concept to a lot of people was you know, when we were trying to explain it to our families, you know, we want to do cowgirls and pirates and skulls and black, a black back room with gold mirrors. You know, they were like, what are you doing? Um, but no, the way you explained of, it makes perfect sense now. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you talking about? That's a weird mashup. But it ended up sort of being this great, like, kind of proto-tiki concept um, where, you know, you could talk about rum and pirates and that sort of thing. And it was a very escapist place to go where, you know, one of my proudest things was when people would walk in and say, I don't feel like I'm in Columbus, Ohio. So that's, that was the goal there. That's definitely the goal of any good tiki bar. Um, and I feel like tiki just ended up being like the next in a line of, okay, well, what do we want to do now? Um, so Eventually, like I said, Marcy opened Ace of Cups, so she's got her venue. Um, Liz has moved out of the state and is doing other stuff, um, but we're all still great friends. And I feel like Tiki had been the one other concept that I had said, okay, it's really hard to open bars. I really love to open bars, but the only reason I would 
dedicate two to five years of my life to make something go as if it was a tiki bar. Um, or a ski ball bar. Well, shh, don't don't tell <laughs> right. my secret concept. You'll have to edit that out, it doesn't matter. Now that there's out, now there's barcades everywhere. The ski ball bar is fine. I can go to ski the ball just bars ski now. Ball. But exactly. Um, at any rate, uh, so it was really kind of this amazing support system, like I said, of having the farm. When we said tiki, they said how do, how do we yeah. get involved? Um, so especially in Columbus, I just feel like that that was just an amazing confluence of people and timing and events where we were super lucky to have people that were really receptive to it and not just receptive to it. They had spent their whole time waiting for this concept we were waiting to show for up. You. We were waiting yeah, exactly. for you. Exactly. Um, so, and now all everybody in the farm is my dear friends as well. So is, is yours the only Tiki bar in Columbus? Currently, yes. Yeah. Um, there was a place called Thai Tiki on High Street in the Short North that was, I think it was around for less than a year. Ill-fated. Um, I, I never heard of it, and I'm down there all the time, so. So, yeah, and I was really excited, actually. I'm, you know, the more the merrier. If somebody else wants to open a tiki bar so I can go to one that's not mine. <laughs> Are you listening? <laughs> Please do it. Um, I mean, I love to travel and go to other tiki bars as well, so, um one of the things that we told Carmen in the early days, and one of the reasons we really wanted to help was that our experience had been that uh, what we'd seen in other cities and states of tiki bars opening, uh, they really didn't do a lot of research. They'd maybe been to a tiki bar and they wanted to open a tiki bar or because there was a slowly emerging trend towards opening tiki bars. They, well, let's do that um, with a total lack of thinking about what actually makes a good tiki bar. So our thinking was, hey, if there's somebody who's actually willing to do this, and we certainly have a lot of resources to bring to bear, we would love to help and try to make it correct. As, as, as much as you can in Columbus, Ohio, we'd like to try to make it correct because every time one opens anywhere else in the U.S. that doesn't get the concept and doesn't really pull it off very well, it closes mm. again and again and again. So, so what makes a successful tiki bar? You definitely have to have the immersive atmosphere, and I think th there are multitudes. I mean, we could talk all day just about the various different types of tiki bars from uh, you know, large Polynesian supper clubs like a Kahiki or a Maikai all the way down to the small neighborhood, you know, um, more <sighs> Southern California, I suppose, flotsam and jetsam surf kind of bar, tiki bar. You know, there's definitely everything in between. Um, and, you know, doing small scale in Columbus, actually, I thought was a great idea. I mean, the fact that it was a room, it was brilliant. I mean, sure, we'd all love to recreate the Kiki, you know, if, if the grass skirt could expand and put a second room on, that'd be awesome. I'm all in. Uh, but uh, being able to do it on that small scale, you know, you can maximize the immersive decor, which is important. And you definitely need to understand what Tiki bars look like. You can't fill them with party city Tiki's and expect it to work. You just can't. You can't have a bunch of... Uh, poorly screened plastic tiki mask lights up on the walls and some paper moai laying around and expect this to work. And, and number two is, is drinks. I mean, the, the cocktails have to be spot on. They just have to be. Mm -hmm. uh, there are also multiple directions you can go with those. Mm -hmm. But if they don't reflect, you know, tiki cocktails in their heyday, you know, at their peak, then you're completely missing the boat and you won't stay open. People won't come in for sloppy pink drinks filled with cheap rum. They just won't. Sure. And so speaking of cocktails, you're going to make a cocktail for us tonight. What are you going to make? 
Um, I'm actually going to make the Ahu's Navy Grog number two, as it is known on our menu. Um, and what we haven't mentioned this whole time is we nobody calls Matt Matt. <laughs> we, his, Hi, I'm Ahu. <laughs> <laughs> his actual fraternal order name is Cuckoo Ahu. Um, so <clears throat> referencing himself on the on the menu, he and I worked a long time on the cocktails um, and sort of narrowing down what the focus was going to be. Uh, but this in particular was his baby in terms of getting a really good Kahiki favorite onto the grass skirt menu. And what's in it? Well, um, it's pretty simple, actually. I mean, it's a dark rum, lime juice, grade A maple syrup, uh, fernet branca, grapefruit juice, and Angostura bitters. Great. So we're going to take a break, and we're going to make a cocktail, and we will be right back. All right, and we're back with the Ahu's Navy Grog number two. So first, I want to describe the uh, the the vessels that we're drinking out of. Mine has a pirate on the front and a skull on the back. Uh, Blair, yours. Mine's a, a fish. It's a koi fish. <laughs> a koi fish. A koi fish. And Hansberry has a skull over there. And so we have. Um, you can smell the mint that you put in as a garnish and a nice slice of orange. Um, so let's let's taste. Cheers, you guys. Cheers. Cheers. Definitely smell the cocktail itself as well before you. Uh... Yum. Oh wow, that's good. So that's this is really really good. Dark rum. Fernet Branca. Lime juice. juice, grapefruit juice, grade A maple syrup, and Angostura and bitters. Angostura. Man, that is really, really so, tasty. So good. That's one of like this is the cocktail I recommend when people say I don't like anything too sweet. Um, this is absolutely my go-to to tell people. Okay, do you, do you like fernet? Do you like bitters? Do you yeah. even know what those things are? Let me blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, how important is the um, the crazy glassware? Oh, it's super important. I mean, yeah. that's even if you don't have a tiki drink in your glass, it's still much more fun to drink anything out of a tiki mug. Where did that come from? Um, these particular tiki mugs, or no, just, just the in general history of tiki mugs. Yeah. Ooh. I couldn't say that I'm the foremost expert on the history of them. I know that you know the original Don the Beachcomber menu or restaurant started utilizing um, house mugs of various types early on. And uh, as did uh, Trader Vic's. So, yeah, the idea of actually drinking out of an exotic vessel, I, I, there, you'd have to bring an expert in on that. I know there's a lot of them out there. Uh, but I would say probably started with, you know, hollowed out pineapples and, and coconut shells and just started working towards more uh, restaurant service type items that were still strange. Okay. You know, something interesting other than just a glass. But glassware is, was and always has been you know, just as popular standard glassware with tiki bars as well. Mai Tais are almost always served in a, in a double old fashioned. So, so uh, tiki 
did that start in where where did it start is it polynesian truly or is it an american thing or <laughs> definitely, definitely a not. west coast <laughs> yeah definitely a california west coast uh, american institution it's, okay it's a, it's a made up uh, post world war ii fantasy land um rum was inexpensive uh, uh you know you don't really see uh, rum historically uh in uh, the the pacific uh so the exotic pacific brought in for the uh, a lot of the visual theme and then uh, rum and uh, rum cocktails uh starting with things like you know uh, petite punch uh, from the caribbean so it's it's actually a mishmash of, of the two okay so i heard um someone was telling me there's some sort of underground tiki world in columbus is that or were they mistaken is that just your fraternity or do you know of any that could be us they're talking about. I don't really know. I mean, we are... Um, we can't tell you or we'd have to kill <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> so that's the first rule of the underground tiki exactly. world. There's certainly a path to membership uh, you know, available on our forums and our website for anybody who is interested in joining. It is a vetted process. I mean, it is a... a frankly, it is a secret society, uh, but we are all volunteer, and it's a charitable group. So... Um, I would say that there are many reasons for maintaining the mystery of the group to some degree, but at the same time, we're looking for a certain type of person. You know, you have to be willing to volunteer and work and, and get things done. We're trying to raise money for charity and have a good time doing it. That requires a certain demeanor. You know. Is there a special handshake or anything? Uh, I can't tell you. I, <laughs> I, I don't even know, you guys. I don't even know a bunch of this stuff because I'm not... But are there other underground tiki groups in Columbus? Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest with you. I know there are a lot of, uh, there are more and more fans of, of tiki in Columbus now that, that are emerging, um, especially a bit younger. The, you know, the, the, the uh, mid-20s, mid-30s crowd is, is sort of emerging now as, as having a lot of interest in this. And they, you know, frequently will talk to Carmen or they'll talk to myself, you know, if they're at an event or they're at, they're at Carmen's bar. Um, and they're kind of doing their own things. There's an event tonight. Um, if, I, yeah, if I can plug anybody. Tiki. Well, Rebecca Monday, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, there's Rock. an event called Tiki Geddon, yeah. uh, which is uh, happening at Little Rock uh, this evening. We've um, been there. To, we went to the last one. It was, yeah. it was fabulous. Yeah, I'll be there later this evening. Tiki AF. Yeah, that was their one. last yeah. one, yes. I could I could not make that one. I have yet to be at one of their events, but uh, I want to be supportive. So well, I'm and I normally go work Monday night, so I can never go. But now, because we're doing this, oh, I yeah. get to go tonight. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's I'm awesome. sure they'll be thrilled to uh, see you. But I was actually just talking to Greg um, as well. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a gin tiki competition with OIO and 451 Spirits. And uh, he was like, can we do something here? Is that okay? And I was like, of course. I mean, again, I feel like there's there's plenty of tiki love to go around, and there's plenty of ways to express that. And um, a lot of people are coming to tiki from, or a lot of bartenders now are coming to tiki from sort of this craft cocktail um, angle, which there are plenty of people that walk in the door of a tiki bar, have never been to a tiki bar, don't know what a tiki bar is, don't understand that these cocktails are... Um, a little more expensive because there's better quality ingredients, but also because there's, as you guys saw, a lot of booze. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, the value for your money that you're getting for, you know, a $13 zombie, obviously it's not a $2 PBR. 
Um, well, but plus the bang you have for the your ex- buck is yeah. pretty good because and you're getting absolutely a lot. Of and you have the experience of your whole place. I mean, it's just like, it's like going on a mini vacation, coming to your restaurant, not to mention the food. You have really good food as well. Thank you. Yeah. So the menu, how, how did you come up with your food menu? Um, well, as Matt was saying earlier, there's, you know, in, in terms of creating a tiki bar, there's, there's a few elements, um, one, we wanted the cocktails, um, most importantly to me, it was that the cocktails be fabulous. Um, right even with that was that the atmosphere be immersive and, you know, transport you to somewhere else. Um, and then three, the tiki food piece was kind of the hardest thing to figure out because there, you know, there, there is are, no dead definition <laughs> yes, for it. There, There's no dead on definition. There are, you know, plenty of people that will argue all day long about what is the proper Mai Tai or this or that, but a lot of tiki bars essentially started with sort of from this angle of, okay, what's exotic? Fine. We're going to have some Cantonese because Cantonese with pineapple. In exactly. It. We're going to serve it in a pineapple. Steakhouse fair, 60s then, steakhouse fair. Um, and so coming at it from that sort of angle, because we had had these other restaurants and I sort of thought, okay, maybe we can try sort of an Asian kind of comfort food angle. Um, obviously I knew we needed spam mostly because I love spam. Um, but because it's such a quintessentially sort of Hawaiian thing. Um, I've never eaten spam ever. In my oh, life. Come oh on. my goodness. Never. Oh, right. you haven't lived we're, yet. We're going to change that <laughs> next night, next cocktail tour. Um, I love it. So initially on our menu, we had sort of things like egg rolls and little spam sliders on Hawaiian bread. Um, we had sort of more traditionally, Asian-influenced food. And then what I found was more successful is that we sort of broadened the scope and said, you know what? Okay, this is all made up anyway. I don't have to adhere to any specific thing. Why don't we at least make people feel like it's there's you know some sort of coastal influence? So, for example, we've always had coconut shrimp that we make in-house. We've always had crab rangoon that we make in-house. Um, but then we put coconut shrimp and grits with red curry coconut sauce on the menu. Oh, yeah. Um, and threw some pork belly in there because it doesn't love pork belly. makes everything better. Exactly. Um, so that seems to be like a more successful, we started with sort of a tapas kind of small plates thing because I thought the focus would be drinking, but it turns out that people downtown eating lunch like didn't want <laughs> to buy two zombies and a couple <laughs> little tiny hamburgers. They were like, no, we want a big burger and a Iced tea, a tropical iced tea. We'll take that. If there's a three martini lunch, so, there's no such thing as a two zombie exactly. lunch. There's a two uh, zombie lunch and you go home. So so that's been actually really successful. The last, I don't know, two to three years, we sort of moved into like more tacos, quesadillas, sort of stuff that people would understand as sort of, okay, I understand this from going to a Mexican restaurant or from um, – going to Louisiana, that kind of thing. So we just kind of expanded it to this is more beachy, coastal seafood feeling. And, so we've got and family cakes. friendly too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things that I love. I actually just had this conversation waiting on somebody today. Um, the first drink that I made this morning at 1130 AM, I was waiting, <laughs> waiting tables, um, was a sneaky tiki, which is our big bowl um, full of overproof Jamaican rum. And I was like, whoa, all right, rock on. You guys are <laughs> doing it up with this holiday. Um, way to go. Um, but I put, obviously, dry ice and all kinds of fun stuff in there. And the table and I were talking, and I was like, I, I feel like the whole point of Tiki is that whether you're four or whether you're 74, 
dry ice and kitschiness and little plastic mermaids and little pirate flags and all kinds of little fruit garnishes are always just going to be entertaining and awesome no mm. matter no matter who you are no matter what age so um so yeah we love i mean we we get a fair amount of kids we don't have a ton mm-hmm. but we have a ton of regulars that bring their kids in regularly and I bet kids and, love it and they love it i mean There's yeah so much my niece has essentially grown up in there um so yeah they're where's my lay where's my mermaid where's you know <laughs> so but they're Obviously, forty-year-olds also that are. Where's my lay? Where's my money? So, <laughs> so it's got broad appeal. And so you, when I was there uh, last time, I had a mai tai, which was delicious. And it's so important, I think. Well, I know that you make your own orgeat, for mm-hmm. example, all fresh juices, of course, and fresh. Um, Whatever you can get your hands on locally, I assume that you use local as much as possible. But I mean, tiki is kind of the most opposite of. So it's probably hard to get local. It's really hard to get local pineapple. Yeah, I mean, yes, we do. We do what we can. Um, But I feel like um, that was one of the great things about having the resource that was the moai, because Matt could say, you know, okay wait, don't make your orgeat that way. This is really a pain in the butt. And I figured out how to to take this 15-step recipe and turn it into a three-step recipe um, and sort of adapt it that way because they had been working on it for how? What is the three steps? Can Um, you tell? Or is it a secret? I don't know. Are we? Yeah, I don't care. Um, So essentially, (laughs) um, so when Matt and I first met, I was actually literally making almond milk on our own, like soaking almonds overnight, all and he was like, no, no, okay, baby girl, like if you're going to do commercial production of this stuff, you can buy almond milk. It's okay. <laughs> and then you can add your orange blossom water to essentially your simple syrup, which is what we do. With a, so. good, with a good organic almond extract. Exactly. And, uh, I, I, look, I don't want anybody who hears this to go, I, make, I milk almonds and make, you know, terrific orgeat. I believe you. And I bet it's delicious. But it has to work in a high turn environment, you have to be able to make enough of this stuff to get drinks out the door to keep the doors open. Sure. I mean, if you love a tiki bar, you have to accept that, you know, we're always going to do the absolute best we can with making quality drinks with quality ingredients. We're not going to go and buy, I won't name the name. Uh, we're not going to go and buy a typical off the shelf orgeat, which has mostly corn syrup, and water and then 15 ingredients you can't even pronounce some mm-hmm. of which sound like stomach medicine and it's terrible yeah uh but what you what you can't necessarily do is have a, a almond milking operation in the back of of the restaurant it's 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 doable but i don't think it's absolutely necessary and when you look at classic tiki bars um you know in their heyday uh there was a movement gosh now maybe 10 years ago where people were talking about the concept of drink from the roots. You know, if you're going to make this drink, um, you should try to go as far back as you can. Well, you know, Trader Vic invented the Mai Tai using orgeat syrup. He wasn't milking almonds in the back of a Trader Vic's. He was using whatever was available at the time. That was a good commercial orgeat. Um, he wasn't using uh, 18th century French countryside orgeat made in a farmhouse. It just isn't how that works. So when it comes to Tiki, really about as far back as we we need to go in so far as producing drinks if we look at the roots is, is you know frankly 40s 50s 60s uh, particularly with the 60s 
you know, that was heyday. That was when the drinks were really being produced all over the U.S. I mean, every nearly every hotel in every city had a tiki bar in it. There were, uh, you know, large-scale supper clubs of, of, of a reasonable quantity across the U.S. Um, we're going to go back to when really high production met, you know, high quality. Now, in the 70s, things started to decline, which is part of why tiki went away. Um, but, uh, yeah, if we're going to make orgeat... There's a, a way to make a high-quality, good-tasting orgeat with ingredients you can pronounce. And it's very easy to do, and you can make a whole lot of it very quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would always say to do. The same thing with grenadine. We're not going to use that commercial brand of grenadine that's basically red corn syrup with the cherry flavor in it because it's not even a cherry syrup in the first place. It's supposed to be a pomegranate syrup. So, we're, But we're not going to squeeze pomegranates in the back of the house. We can get pomegranate concentrate. We can add it to a decent cane sugar-based existing grenadine that's that's okay, but it's lacking the pomegranate. You know, we can add those two together and get a high-quality syrup that makes a fantastic drink. Yeah, you can you can taste the difference when you're using fresh quality ingredients that you've made in-house as opposed to the stuff that you're referring to off the shelf, which I don't mind saying it's roses. And if you have roses in your right. bar, I probably don't want to drink there. Right. Yeah. Well, I had just had somebody today be like, can you just add some sour mix to this tequila? And I was like, oh. Oh, no. Oh. I can if you don't mind me going back in the kitchen and making well, fresh sour mix. Well, no, I'll I just squeeze like, some lemons and limes and oranges and, and add cane sugar. Are and, we? Yeah. Okay. But I was just like, oh, goodness. I haven't had anybody request sour mix yeah. in years. No. So. You know, it's good for curing not hiccups. Judging, not me. judging anyone, but I just was like, oh, that's so darling. <laughs> so you like sodium bismuth or whatever. <laughs> exactly. You like guar gum. Mm, good for you. All right. So tell me some stories. I want to hear some stories that you have. Um, you've been around a long time. I have. Tell me some <laughs> stories. Tell me your favorite story. Oh, goodness. That's on the spot. I know. Tell me your favorite story, Matt. You've got to have a good tiki story. About tiki in general? About bar tiki. Um, Gosh. Uh, I'm trying to think of which ones are appropriate for a podcast to be yeah, They're all appropriate. No mm. holes barred uh, here. You, you can cuss. You can say whatever you oh, want. it's not so bad. It's, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to incriminate anyone. Um, <laughs> Leave names yeah, out. No names. Look, I'll be honest with you. As, as you can imagine, uh, a lot of the stories that are, that are uh, funny or droll are... Uh, you're definitely going to change names to protect the innocent and, <laughs> because people are drinking a hell of a lot of rum, you know, of course. and, and, uh, Tiki is certainly something that I think people need to be somewhat careful about. You get in this escapist environment where it seems like, you know, everything's fine. We don't care that it's snowing outside because there's no damned windows in the bar. Anyway, we can't even see outside. <laughs> and in here is all fake tropical plants and Tiki gods and crazy lights. And, and I've got this, this drink here full of rum and, uh, I've been here a half an hour and I'm already starting to feel a buzz because of all the rum in this. And of course the uh, fruit toast and the fruit juices helps to accelerate that through the bloodstream. So it's already kicking in pretty quickly. Um, a lot of pretty wild things can happen. Uh, funny stories. Um, gosh, uh, a lot of the fraternal order of Moai events, uh, in particular, uh, our upstate New York event called Ohana, uh, have some hilarious stories, but I don't think I want to tell them without talking about the people that were actually there. I can say there was a night of uh, of uh, bobbing for something. I don't know what it was now. Uh, a million people might message me tomorrow to remind me of what it was. Bobbing for something, maybe 
maybe pineapples or something like that Coconuts. in a baby pool filled <laughs> with rum. That that happens, oh. and that will uh, really burn your eyes. It's really not <laughs> really not fun. Sounds uh, like a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah uh, the baby pool filled with rum and, and something floating in there that people were bobbing for. Uh, that was uh, that was. Bizarre. I feel like he knows the something and he just doesn't want to say I, it. Honestly, I don't remember, <laughs> but I was drinking an awful lot that evening. Uh, please drink responsibly, everyone. But I was at a resort and I didn't have to go anywhere. Um, I can say uh, at, at that same event, uh, the room crawl rooms are usually pretty fantastic. Um, there's a, a room crawl, which is like a boozy trick-or-treat for grown-ups where oh, people fun. open up their room. They have to sign up to be on this, but they open up their rooms. They decorate their rooms vividly and incredibly and then they serve a cocktail to all comers until they basically run out uh there was the poseidon adventure one year that room and uh i'm i'm fairly certain that my recollection is correct that all this furniture was on the ceiling of the room i'm still not entirely sure how they did this (laughs) it was an upside down hotel room uh then there was the aliens versus the alien resistance movement where one party was walking around, uh, the, the, the women of the group were dressed as uh, 1950s B-movie aliens with big green and blue beehives. And, um, they were pretending to not be aliens, so of course they would try to get you to drink the juice. We are from France. Drink the juice. <laughs> uh, later that evening, you would find uh, the alien resistance movement room, and they would basically grab you, drag you into the room, make you put on a tinfoil hat, and their cocktail was, of course, the antidote. But what was amazing was everything in the entire room, an entire hotel room, covered in foil. Oh, wow. There was nothing untouched. The phone, the bed, the TV, all of the furniture, the floor, the ceiling, the walls. Is this like an annual event? It is, yes. Wow. Ohana Luau at the Lake. There's your plug, Michael. What what, uh, part of, is that Chautauqua or what part Uh, of the No, Lake George. Lake George. Lake George. Okay. And if it's not sold out already, I'd be surprised. So if anybody's interested in going, you might want to look into if tickets have gone on sale yet. They may have. I don't know. So how does one become a member of this fraternity? Well, strictly speaking, I'm actually not allowed to tell you how in that respect. I can say this. Um, there are instructions for people who are interested in joining, and they are on our website, which is fraternalordofmoai.org. Okay. And there, you said there's a vetting process. I assume you can't. There is that certainly on. a process. Yes, um, I, I, I will say that that is outlined. But uh, no, we, we don't accept people that are not vetted for by an existing member. But it's fairly easy because we're all over the U.S. to meet other members. So it's not. We have meet and greets pretty frequently. So anybody who was interested in joining would probably want to watch our website for meet and greet announcements. Come to one, and then uh, and then after that, if they've met a few people, get on get on the forum and start chatting up. And Read the rules. One of my favorite things about Fraternal Order of Moai. So you guys started here in Columbus. Correct. When? Uh, 2005. Okay. New Year's Day. How many chapters are there now? Oh, God, that's a Jeff question. Okay. A lot? Over 20? <laughs> uh, maybe right around 20, okay. I think, yeah. I, I know New York, I think. It's, New York City is coming back, too, as well now. So that's new. I just That's one of the coolest things to me is that people here missing the Kahiki, specifically here in Columbus, Ohio, said... We want to do this thing, and now you guys are all over. Yeah, yeah, you can't. That's can't amazing. Really. So cool. We're kind of uh, we're, we have a bit of a gap in the sort of middle big states of the U.S., but just about everywhere else, we're we're pretty well represented. Yeah, nice. um, and uh, the fact that I that I got the other day for a, well, not the other day, but maybe a couple months ago for a, a, a Coors event, Central Ohio Rum Society, which I think now is just Ohio Rum Society. Mm-hmm. There's your plug, Chad. 
Um, they're doing really cool things too. So you yeah. might want to check out Ohio. He, he's Society. a friend of the mm-hmm. tour as well. Oh God, yeah. Chad's great. Um, for one of their events, we had to speak and uh, I had to call up uh, Jeff, who's the current VP of the national organization and ask him, give me a couple talking points. And the most exciting one was that we've raised over a hundred thousand dollars for charity. So, Oh, that's amazing for a group of, Rum drunks, that's not too bad, right? I love that. Good for you. Keep <laughs> up drinking, the good work. Drinking for a cause. I love it. Our, yeah. One of our mottos is fun with a purpose. That's a good, that's a good purpose. Um, so, Carmen, story, no story? Not from mm. Bettys or Scully's or Trader Dicks. Trader Dicks. Is there a story of when you, went in, <laughs> when you were in Vegas, when you went in that tiki bar? Oh, yeah, I can tell you. It's <laughs> a good story. Um, the story of. Um, when I actually got drunk enough to decide to open a tiki bar <laughs> for real, uh, this had been an idea that had been floating around bes- between myself, um, Tim, Liz, um, and I have two other partners. Um, so we had all been friends forever. Again, I had said I, w- I wouldn't open anything else except for a tiki bar. Um, and we had sent, at that point, I think we had five restaurants. Um, so it was owner or general manager and their front and back of the house managers um, all went out to a restaurant convention in Vegas, which I'd never been to. Um, and my partner from Surly Girl, Marcy, had said, you have to go to the Double Down Saloon because it's this little divey club. You're going to love it. Um, but it was in part what I wanted sort of our back room, the parlor room at Surly Girl to be. So you have to go. And of course, I did love it. Their house shot is called Ass Juice. (laughs) 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 They were playing, they had a million TVs up up on the bar playing everything from cartoons to porn. Like it was just a ridiculous mishmash of people. And the back wall was just a big painted sign was essentially a black background and in white letters at least 10 feet tall it just said shut up and drink (laughs) this is my kind of bar um so i think there were five or six of us um and maybe the only reason i remember that is because we all tried to pile into their photo booth so we had (laughs) pictures of us um and obviously we're having a great time drinking ass juice talking to the bartender um, and he said, okay, well, if you love this place, you actually have to go to the owner's other bar, which is Frankie's Tiki Room. And I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought to look for a tiki room here or a tiki bar um, here in Vegas. So, all right, let's gather the troops. We're going to the tiki bar. So he says, okay, just I'm going to call. My wife is actually the bartender at Frankie's. I'm going to call and let her know that you guys are coming because you're great. And, of course, I'm sure we were tipping him outrageously because we were all restaurant people. So he was like, yes, go give my wife some money. Um, So we walk in, and Frankie's is this amazingly iconic in terms of just dark, smoky. It's Vegas, so there's, like, bedding machines everywhere. But there's ridiculous lights and like a little hut in the back that you can go into and like a plinko machine. Like this place is amazing, but we haven't even gotten five feet into the door and we just, the bartender sees us and she goes, Hey guys, rub his dick. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) And in between her and us is this amazing giant tiki. Not a bartender. Excuse excuse me. (laughs) 
yeah, rub his dick. (laughs) (laughs) So we walk up to the tiki (laughs) and rub his dick and he starts smoking. (laughs) We were like, this is our kind of place. We're in heaven. Um, So that was our introduction to Frankie's. Um, She ended up being awesome. And then what the sneaky tiki, the bowl that I referenced, um, I actually started making that as a shot. Um, in homage to whatever the shot was that we were having at Frankie's that was like a, their skull system, we have like a two to three skull drink situation on our menu. I think their skulls go up to like five. And so Tim, one of my um, eventual partners and I are having these drinks that are basically Midori and pineapple and like gasoline. So skulls means means how strong the drinks are. So at whatever point, she's like, okay, you've had two of these. You have to wait a half an hour before you can have another one. <laughs> so in that half an hour, between the second, whatever the sneaky tiki was called at Frankie's, um, and the third, I was like, this is it, Tim. When we go back, we're doing it. I know we've been talking about it, but it's happening. So that was <laughs> the origin story of like, no, we're actually going to make this happen. Oh, that's amazing. So. So where is, uh, tell our listeners where Grass Skirt Tiki Room is located. Um, Grass Skirt is tucked away in a little corner of downtown. Um, We're at 105 North Grant Avenue, um, corner of Grant and Long, and we're sort of off the street a little bit. So um, we are just north of the Hills Market, which you will see. Um, And then I think sort of like any good tiki bar, we're sort of hidden um, and you kind of don't know what you're going to walk into. Um, we did actually have no windows, as Matt was referencing when we first opened. Oh, there is a window in the door now. Um, but there were so many people that were walking in and like walking into tables. But <laughs> I was like, okay, we'll put windows in the door. I forgot. So yes, those are the only two windows. But yeah, that was very much my goal um, was to have that sort of same feeling of walking into Frankie's and being like, okay, I kind of can't see, but what I can see looks amazing. Where am I? What's happening? Um, so, yeah. Well, mission, mission accomplished. Your, yes. your place is really great, and it's a lot of fun. Thank uh, you. What are the hours? Um, we open at 11 a.m., uh, Monday through Saturday. Uh, during the week, uh, Mondays we close at 10, uh, Tuesday through Thursday at 11, and then Friday and Saturday at midnight. All right. And we're closed on Sunday, so I can... Rest. Have a, yeah, exactly. Tiki's hard work. Exactly. Have a day of rest or go in and do things that need done around the bar. All right. Well, Carmen Owens and Cuckoo Ahu. Did I say that right? She did it. Matt Thatcher, but you nailed it. Yeah, Matt Thatcher. Thank you so much for being our guest tonight. Yes, thank you for having us. And that's our podcast for the night. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, review us, tell all of your friends, please. Also, please check out our cocktail tour at ColumbusCraftCocktailTour.com. Thank you to our producer, Greg Hansberry. And thank you for our original music, the biographer and Blair. Please remember to drink responsibly, tip appropriately, and always be cocktail curious. Cheers. 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 Cheers.